Hello and welcome to Beat the Press, the show which looks at how pressure affects football performance. My name is John Sorry, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Luke Chiverton. Hi, John. Uh, so this is our second podcast uh, inside a week. Uh, probably fair to say we're not going to sustain that level of pace over the remainder of the season. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we've kind of gone off a bit like Mo Farah in 2012. And for anyone who's listening to this episode that, that wasn't lucky enough to, to listen to Series 1, I think uh, expectations for our page from this point on are probably more kind of akin to Mo Farah in, in 2021. <laughs> yeah. Having said that, John, as opening games of the season go I mean this is basically the equivalent of going away to one of your main title rivals and and picking up a 3-0 win we had two fantastic guests didn't we oh we did we did so we were lucky enough to to chat to Gareth Hainsworth and Richard Dobson uh so Gareth is the the manager of Wickham Wanderers Richard's his assistant they are currently uh, as it stands the, the longest serving managerial duo in the football league and they were the the pair, the kind of brains behind um, Wickham's promotion to, to the championships. It was the first time that, that Wickham had reached the second tier of English football last season in their 133-year history. And behind a lot of that was the the, the culture that, that Gareth and, and Wickham have have uh, established it at Adams Park. And, and also the, the psychological support that they provide to to the first team squad as well. So this is a subject that's really close to Richard's heart. He came on to, to the Beat the Press podcast last year to talk about the programme um, that he'd established at, at Wickham's Academy, which when it was set up was called the, the biggest of its kind in Europe by the FA's head of head of psychology. And they're doing some really, really kind of groundbreaking stuff at, at, at Wickham, aren't they, Luke? Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, they're two very impressive guys, aren't they? I mean, th- they're incredibly passionate. Um, they really care about kind of the mental side of the games, you know, the well-being of the club, the culture, the environment that players work in. And you, c- you can just see how kind of bought into that they are. And, and clearly it's yielding results. I mean, the, the thing we say over and over again on this podcast, John, is that if you take the time to care about psychology and the mental side of the game, it's, you know, it will give you an edge. Um, I don't think there's much more we need to say. I mean, sit back, listen to the interview and, and you, you'll see what we're getting at when we say you know, just how refreshing some of the, some of the things they, they told us were. Our guests this week are currently the Football League's longest serving managerial duo, responsible for guiding Wickham to the second tier of English football for the first time in the club's 133-year history and looking to steer the chair boys back to the championship at the first time of asking. It's our pleasure to welcome to Beat the Press, Richard Dobson and Gareth Ainsworth. How you doing, guys? Hi, good to see you. Gareth, welcome to the pod. And, and Richard, I guess it's a case of welcome back. Um, it's been quite a 12 months since we last spoke. How, how's it been for you? It's been interesting, um, you know, going into the championship and, uh, you know, in, in enjoying the, the season that we had there. I know, uh, you know, it finished in relegation, but... From our point of view, going in, into the, the division as a, a very small club and, and possibly a little bit ahead of schedule, um, it, it was a, a great effort towards the end of the season to, to just miss out by a point. You know, we had to learn very quickly. We, we didn't win in our first seven games and ultimately, um, you know, paid the price for that. But um, towards the end of the season, we looked every bit a, a championship squad and um, we were delighted with the progress that we made as a club over the course of the season uh, for that experience. Thank you. Gareth, you had such, you know, Richard said that you had such a positive end to, to last season. 
How's that kind of informed what you're planning to do this season? Have you got kind of particular targets in mind for for the season ahead? Yeah, of course. You know, and, and as as Rich says, uh, it was uh, it was a fantastic end to the season. You know, I, I think um, towards the end we 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 were feeling like a championship side, like we belong there. And uh, I think the learning, um, <clears throat> not just the, the the football learning, but the the intelligence learning of uh, of that period has has put us in real good stead for this season. You know, there's certain things that happen on a pitch that. Um, the mind takes in physical side takes care of itself a lot and you, and you have you can you can gauge that but um, you know we really grew in confidence we really so you could see the boys standing taller at times you know being this uh, this team that we're going to do it um, and it wasn't the you know the, the big monster we thought it was we, we definitely could compete at times so what we're going to do uh, now is, is bring that into this season and, and tell the boys how good they were without the, the the problem would be now getting carried away thinking we're something better than we are. And so we've got to bring them back down, of course, but also remind them that they were good enough to compete at championship level. Yeah, we, we've lost a couple of players, uh, but we've gained some as well. And uh, and so setting the goals for this season has been, you know, it's, it's a balancing act of, of, uh, of not putting too much pressure on the boys. Um, we know what we believe in inside what we can achieve and uh, and we talk about that but um it's uh it's a fine balance with all these big spending teams in league one setting the goals for what our season looks like and and we'll do that rather than a points target or rather than a positional target i've already said to the boys how fantastic would it be to be amongst these teams so straight away taking the pressure off and how fantastic would it be not we have to be so that automatically takes the pressure i think it's, it's about delivering what we believe we can achieve, but delivering it the right way to the boys and, uh, and making sure they, uh, they've got the confidence to go in there and, and achieve it. Yeah. Just, just to add on that is, it's often how you frame it um, with the players. Um, and the way that we framed it is, is as Gaz says, you, you know, you take the pressure off them and you, you set them targets that they want to go and achieve because, you know, ultimately there'll be 20 clubs at this moment in time in our division that will all be saying, if we get off to a good start, we might be able to make the playoffs this season or better. Now, 10 games in, half of them clubs are going to be suddenly looking over their shoulder and starting to talk about relegation, you know. So you can get a little bit excited, a little bit ahead of yourselves um, and apply that pressure on yourselves that isn't needed. Um, so we talk very much about our performance and our performance goals. And in actual fact, we reward the, the boys for um, for what we call KPIs. Um, so, you know, where at most clubs you get your, your win bonus and your lose bonus and you're, you're talking about the black and white of winning and losing. With us, we talk about the way that we can win and um, our KPIs are, um, are measured by uh, things that give us a greater chance of winning if we perform these correctly. Um, so the boys have got a, a sort of pool that they, they get for, for, for carrying out the right KPIs and every now and then they'll play really well and they'll lose, but the KPIs will show us it's a game that we, we could easily have won and vice versa. So it's actually worked out really well and more often than not, if we, if we, if we win, our KPIs are, are very high. Yeah, I'll have to say that recently, and credit to Dobbo, um, so he's such a great, great assistant. Um, he wrote down what what success looks like in in League One. We did this years ago for League Two, even trying to get out of League Two. We were writing down what gets you out of League Two, what what you KPIs, and, and as you say, we put them into monetary values for the boys now. But the other day, he wrote down what 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 would not get a success in League One, and and. Silly little things, silly little mistakes that we can eradicate. So, you know, we're developing all the time and, and this isn't to the boys, this is to us. And then we'll take it onto the training pitch and, and we'll see the red flags of that. That won't get a success, but that will. Um, and then we'll 
we'll get it into these KPIs, like, you know, your, your set pieces, your, 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 how many times we can get the opposition box, that sort of thing. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we, we set goals more over a longer period and a bigger period than just one game. One game isn't a goal. It's, it's, it's a longer period. I think we do it really well um, that way. And, and with the, it's really interesting to hear about those KPIs. It sounds like a lot of them are probably tactical and technical. Are there, are there psychological KPIs in there as well? Well, when we looked at, we, we profiled the division um, when we first came into it. Um, and we looked at, I think we've got 13 different key factors that, um, that w- if you build a team around this, then, you know, you're more likely to, uh, to get success. And, um, and some of them are psychological traits and, and social traits within the squad. You know, I think it's well documented. We, we have a, a really strong social bond at our club within our players and the staff. And, um, and those things are, are ultimately extremely important in terms of getting success. So um, uh, it, it's a mixture of, of all those different things. And when you bring it all together, it stands you in, uh, in greater stead to, in, to, in terms of trying to achieve success in that division. And, and when we feel that those things are, are the things that will get us out of the division, if we get them right, um, it drives our training session, it drives our recruitment. Um, everything is driven around the fact that, you know, these, when we're bringing in players, do they fit the criteria that we need to achieve these KPIs? And, um, you know, ultimately in the past, it's worked in, in League Two and, and you know, with the with the playoffs in League One, we we managed to achieve success there. So, you know, whilst last season was was very different for us, we were you know suddenly minnows in a a league full of giants. Um, but that's also helped us to understand what the next step might look like. Uh, and if we can get back there, we'll be far better prepared for next time round. Richard, last time you came on on the pods, you talked about the work that you were doing with Dr. Misha Jervis in in the academy a few years ago, but but also around the, the time of lockdown I know that you know you were working with her to to kind of produce or take videos about psychological support and make sure the first team members were kind of were supported during that during that period is, is that kind of typical of, of kind of what you do kind of throughout the course of a normal season or you know there are other ways that you kind of psychologically support the players absolutely well, well Misha comes on she's on board with us so she works with us one day a week uh, and comes in and she offers psychological support, which actually uh, I know um, you know in some clubs that's seen as a um, a taboo subject. You know, people want to avoid it because they don't want to be seen to be mentally weak. You know, for want of a, a better term, at our place is a strength. Um, so the players are quite happy to go and, and sit with her and have a chat. And um, you know, they talk sports science, they talk mental health. It could be any issues. And actually, I've got, I've got to say, I'm really proud to say that we've introduced mental health screening to our players. So all our players get, get screened for mental health. And if there's any things that are, are flagged up, then um, they're dealt with. Um, and I guess it's a little bit like, uh, it's, it's funny to use an analogy. Um, firefighters are always seen as the heroes, aren't they? And um, it's funny because actually it's the people that come in and, uh, and prevent the fires, you know, they come into your business and make sure that all the right processes are in place. They never get the credit that they deserve, but actually they're far more important than the firefighters because by the time the firefighters get there, the damage is done and you've got to pick up the pieces from the damage. What we try and do at our place is ensure that the damage never gets um, started. You know, we, we put the fires out before they've even started with our with our boys. So creating the right environment and culture where they can be themselves and, and be themselves fully is is absolutely crucial to us. We want them to be relaxed. We want them to... To, to come into a place of work that they want to be at and, and associated with everybody 
um, in the place. Uh, and if there's anything that starts to flag up, we we try and nip it in the bud by getting the support to them as quickly as possible um, so that we, we never have to put them fires out later down the line. Uh, I think to add to that, I think um, when people ask me what my biggest weapon is, you know, what, what what's, what's your biggest strength at the club? What, what's your... And, and they expect me to probably say, oh, we're, we're good at this corner or you know, we've got to the big man, Akin Fenway, and he's a... But actually, it's, it's, it's talking. It's what we're doing right now. That's that's my biggest power at the club, is talking, making sure you talk to the players. Sometimes, well, often, the, the players who aren't playing are the most important ones to talk. So I've been at clubs where managers, um, they, they shy away from confrontation. They don't want to give excuses why a player's not in the team. So they'll actually not talk to the player who's either injured or, or is not selected. We feel that they're some of the biggest players we need to talk to, we need to connect with. We want to make sure everyone's connected. Uh, so talking is huge at Wickham Wanderers. We, we must we must always talk. There must be an approachable environment where everyone can talk. And I think that me, myself and Rich, over the years, the staff we've employed, first of all, we can trust 100%. We know that they're good staff. We, we, we totally trust them. So someone like Misha comes in, and her work's confidential anyway, but... The boys know they can go and talk to her. They can open up to her. They can up to him. They can open up to me, each other, anyone they want. And I think this this talking uh, is something that probably back in our day when we were playing was something that was looked as a weakness, as, as Richard just said. You know, you don't talk about your problems. You, it was looked at. But now we we embrace this at Wickham. We really want the boys to be... And, and it's run of the mill. Misha comes in, doesn't she? And, they're, and they're, her talking to someone at a normal club would be like, what? there'll be some suspicion what's she doing what's she talking about and and the boys often have their meetings as well together and not once do me and Rich go what are they talking about are they talking about us are they talking about we're not worried we're, it's it's good for them to talk and even if they are talking about us great we'll bring it to us you know and, and they, this is this is the thing I think that we are we're confident in the people we are the club we are and people everyone talk and everyone just just talk about whatever they need to talk about. That's probably our biggest weapon, I'd say. We're always communicating with each other. You need it on the pitch, of course, but off the pitch, I feel it's so, so vital. And uh, and Misha yes, is coming in and done really well, as well as all my staff. And uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on the generals that we put in place, these players, that the, sort of the next step from, from us to the to the players. You know, we've got this, this group of generals that we use as well. So, no, fantastic, yeah. I think what you just said there, Gareth, about <clears throat> lots of the interviews that we have about this kind of thing, that, that's kind of the feedback we get, that lots of players are quite suspicious of being too open within a, within a club environment because they're worried that it might impact selection and you know, football's a naturally competitive industry for players, isn't it? I guess one of the things I'd, I'd be interested in is how, how much time has it taken you guys to kind of get to the point where you've got a culture where, where players are comfortable? And I suppose the second follow-up questions that would be how do you kind of bring new players in um, and let them realise the kind of open environment that you're working in which might be different to what they're used to at other clubs of course I'll let Rich uh, answer the new players one but um, on the culture one um, we haven't cracked it by any means We're, we are <laughs> developing all the time and I think as long as as long as we we know that you know we're never going to be that person we're never going to be yet yeah, we've got it we've cracked it we're developing we're learning all the time and I think Showing that humility is so important for us to 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 be at Wickham. We're we're just as vulnerable as the players sometimes. I think that's a common ground that we we all share, you know. So it's uh it was really important that um you're given time as a manager. We were lucky in the early days. I don't think that we you know I didn't get it right um, when I first came in as a player. And I think we were lucky that the club probably wasn't in any situation to 
to really get rid of anyone or sack managers and things. I think we we sort of got the lucky break where okay, we had the chance to develop the culture and. and after one particularly bad season, um, I think we both had a chat and went, right, we, we know what's not good in, in the football. Let's get what is good. And we were, you know, whether it's fate or a little bit of luck or whatever, but we worked really hard then on recruiting the right characters, the right people. Yeah. And time, time. You need time to develop a culture. You really do. And uh, and I say the yeah. best number two I could have. We, we actually broke everything down, everything <laughs> that we could control. Yeah. We looked at even down to which dugout we were in one of the season. We actually changed dugouts because we yeah. felt that we didn't want the, the hangover of the previous season um, to, you know, to, to linger. So we changed, you know, everything that we possibly could, we looked at, we changed. And then obviously the following season, we ended up in the playoffs, which was, um, you know, far in advance of where we actually were budgetary wise. Um, but there is no shortcut when you, we, you, we, you know, when we create the culture, it takes time. Um, and we've been lucky enough to have that time to develop and evolve um, and to answer the question about the new players, I've literally just had a meeting today with all our new recruits. Um, so what we do is we have an induction uh, for new players. Uh, we involve our generals. So our generals are uh, four senior players that um, uh, have been around the club for a little while. They're, they're culture architects. They're, they're culture guardians, uh, these boys. Um, so uh, Matt Bloomfield used to be one of them. He's actually coming and now working more alongside the staff. He's making a transition from player to, to coach. Um, so Matt has been around the club 17, 17 and a half years. Um, he is Mr. Wickham and he's seen it all. So, you know, he's a great one to, to obviously guide the culture. He's an outstanding professional. But then you've got Bayouakin Fenwa, you know, someone who at 34 years of age, when he first came to us, we were told that's it. He's, he's at the end of his career. You're not going to get much out of him. And we said to him, this is Wickham Wanderers. You come and prove people wrong. You're, uh, this is your platform. And five years later, he's the club's record league goal scorer and, and uh, you know, just a, a wonderful ambassador for, for um, football. Uh, Joe Jacobson is, is somebody we picked up the season after we nearly got relegated. Um, eight years later, I mean, it's great that he stayed with us for eight years, but he's been through um, what has been a sort of upward trajectory um, with the club. And he's a smart guy, um, you know, really bright, intelligent footballer. Um, uh, Jason McCarthy is one that, um, we're using a different capacity. So Jason McCarthy came to us from Southampton as a young lad. He went away to Barnsley, realised the grass wasn't greener, came back again, then went away to Millwall, realised the grass wasn't greener, came back again. And I said, you know what, Jason's experiences are great because sometimes you look at these clubs that are further up the scale and you think, you know, it's all going to be fantastic. And when you get there, you actually pine for the um, the environment that you had previously, you know, the connection of between the people and the, and the players is is more important sometimes than the, the increase in the bank balance. And I think Jason found that. Um, and then finally, Dominic Gape, who um, he comes to us from Southampton as a young lad in, in his mid twenties, much like Jason, has, has shown enough maturity that we've we've sort of upgraded them as generals mm. because we really feel that they are the future of this club and the ones that will guide us in the right direction. So those four generals were involved and, and we literally said to the, the new lads, look, work fantastic. You've done brilliantly already because you managed to get through the door. You know, you've been stalked like you wouldn't believe over the last month before we, we brought you into the club because there's no way in the world that we're jeopardising the culture that we've built here by bringing uh, the wrong person or, or a bad egg or anybody that might, might cause us any uh, distress. So, um, you know, to walk through the door in the first place, you've, you've done well. And now we just want you to be yourselves fully. 
We want you to contribute to it. You're not here to join the ride. You're here to contribute. You're here to leave a legacy and to make this club a better place when you leave, whether it's at the end of this season or whether it's in 10 seasons' time. Um, so, you know, we want them to understand exactly what they're bringing to the party with us um, and the fact that they have a responsibility towards making the culture even better during their time with us. And uh, I think it was a really powerful meeting. And then I left the, the generals and them to have a chat. And, um, you know, they don't need a staff member in there at that point. The generals will... Um, will explain what they're expecting from them and how they can come into the group. I, th- yeah, I was going to say, core, core architects is a really good word that, that Rich has come up with and he came up with that. We, we've, we've had core guardians for quite a few years and core guardians are, they, they will protect our culture. It says what it is on the tin, you know. So so myself and Richard's core values, we'll, we'll put out there to the to the team and, and, and they'll protect them. But lately, I think... Uh, it's evolved that much that they're now um, culture architects as well, that Richard just said. And that that is, you'll protect something even more if it's yours, you know, if it's your idea as well. So they're coming up with this, you know, along with our core values, we, we have to, obviously, we, we keep in, in check that it's not out of hand, but they, they're coming up with these powerful things now and they're really passionate in protecting and, and, and guarding their own culture. And for us, that's that's fantastic. That is fantastic, but it only has come with time. And then the players mentioned have been here a, a, a long time, you know. So it's interesting, Rich. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's it's great when when I hear Rich talking about core guardians and, and then core architects. So it's a great, powerful statement that you can trust your players to come up with their values, to come up with the way they conduct themselves, and then they protect it vehemently because it's theirs. And and I think. A lot of managers, I don't know the managers, but I think that other managers maybe would be scared of handing it over to the players, but we're not. We, we trust them. And I think there's a huge word in that, and trust them. We, go on, go and be successful, you lot, and, and go, on, go and thrive and go and, go and make this this feeling bigger and better amongst the club. And if, if me and Double play a small part in that, great, but go, go, you know, brilliant. That's what we want to do. And you're allowed to be you at Wickham without any re. re cushion at all you can be you and you will fit in because as he says to get through the door you've done well never mind to get on the pitch just to get through that training room door is a is a succession at, at Wickham Wanderers. Gareth I think in a recent interview you talked about the financial challenges that that Wickham face even now with mm. the kind of teams that you're up against in in League One but that kind of cultural ethos that you've just talked about are you, are you kind of seeing that now as um, more of a kind of pulling factor when you're when you're speaking to players is the kind of message now out there to such an extent that players are kind of saying, well, actually, I, I you know, I forsake the the extra how much a week to come and, and play with you guys. Yeah, I don't know how far that would go and how much money they would turn down to come. <laughs> but, um, that's something we are working on. But to, to attract someone like Sam Volks, for instance, you know, um, huge name, huge name. He actually said to me, "I've heard about your dressing room." So to say that. Rather than how do you play and, and I want to play every week and heard about your dressing room, it's so powerful for us to hear things like that, you know. So I do believe that word is finally getting around. And and listen, every team and every successful team has a good team spirit. You hear that left, right, and centre, team spirit, team spirit. We've looked into that and we're like, what is team spirit? What what is, is it just a word? Is it just the lads go out and party together? Or is it is it this togetherness and this this strength that and, and that's what it is. It's this strength and this power that, you know, you can't really 
put on paper it's, it's, and that's what we have and, and I love it when people say your culture your team spirit we, and when opposition managers say you know what Wickham are going to give you you know they never give up that's that's not that's not just a throwaway comment we don't give up because of this because of this it's not we, we just sign players who don't give up no we don't the, the culture forces them not to give up they, they know that they'll do it for each other right until the end and uh, and we've got to stay true to the players as well to to uh, to keep that belief going, you know, and, and I think that's, uh, that's it's great when you hear these players from outside going, oh, we've heard about your dressing room and, and we're, we, we're no secrets about it. We don't keep it secret. We come, come to Wickham. It's a great place. It's a great place to be and uh, and we've, we've, uh, we obviously love people talking about it. Mm. Much of our best work doesn't actually happen on the pitch. So we do um, off-pitch development days where uh, we work on the social and psychological side of our players um, and we've done many different things. We, we brought a guy in to teach the boys the hacker. Um, so, you know, these guys walked in. We told the boys, that, you know, there was a guy coming in to talk to them and, and they didn't have a, a, a clue what was happening. And all of a sudden, these guys come in with full face paint, the grass skirt, um, <laughs> screaming at the top of his voice, doing the hacker. And the look on their face was brilliant. But, um, you know, it was a it was a uh, an education in terms of what the hacker means to the culture of the All Blacks uh, and to the Maori, the Maori culture in particular. And he told us the story of the hacker, what the words mean. And then we went down into the gym and, and we did the hacker to each other. And that was an immensely powerful day. And when you've done something like that together, it creates stronger bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we, we stood in the, the, the trenches in the Somme. Um, we spent a couple of days out there visiting various different battlegrounds and graveyards. And we spoke about the stories of the footballers' battalions uh, many years ago, and it's something we want to revisit now because I think we've had a turnover of players that you know it's yeah. something we could revisit, and that was immensely powerful. Um, talking about footballers similar age to our boys that had gone over and fought in the wars, and stories of success and stories of failure, and um, you know you come back and it hits you like a sledgehammer. Um, but we also do other things like I remember one one um, development day we took them to um, sort of a, a racing driving simulator. And they were put in teams of three and then they had a practice round they had to work out who was the best driver, where they put their pit stops in, whatever. So, you know, obviously they're competitive. They want to win. And at the last minute, we changed one member of each team. So they had no time to, to prepare. And all of a sudden, they had to overcome adversity um, and they had to do it whilst they were in the middle of this, this race. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a jolly up, let's go and race some... some um, racing cars around it was a, a test of right you're going to take you out of your comfort zones all of a sudden one of your team members is going to change what are you going to do about it and by the way you've got no time to think about it so communication has to be punchy and it has to be concise and you have to you know reorganize your plan very quickly that happens in football um so all of our uh, off-pitch development days there's some weird and wonderful things that go on but there's always a method behind the madness um, and it, every single one of them days just develops our social bonds. Ones, yeah. um, it becomes an even stronger group for it. Yeah, no, and the buy-in is important. You know, we get buy-in. You get total buy-in from the boys. And the generals, again, help this. We, you know, we've often heard, like, you get a new signing in and, and he's coming and, and he's, he's wondering, do I commit to this? We're talking about soldiers. Do I, do I stand on the side and have giggle with my friends? But the generals will say, oh, we're in here. This is us together. And it, and it's brilliant. They will buy in. And once you buy in and you're in, it's a great place to be. It's a great place to be that don't be the one on the side and laughing and giggling and having jokes. We haven't got that here. And, and believe me, right in the early days, every, every club has it, but the culture now has dictated that when we, when we do something, they know it's for a reason. They know it's the buy-in's good. And, and why would you miss 
standing and and you know and, and uh, you know the the graves of fallen soldiers and, and paying your respects there or why would you miss having to go on the go kart and, and trying to beat your mate or, or it's been great that you know buying in is, is so important as well I think that comes from us as well that we'll have a go at anything and uh, and yeah great like I say team spirit throw away comments sometimes from, from people when they really say it but I'm really proud of, of our team culture that's what we have here Richard, you talked about you know doing exercises in and dealing with adversity there. Um, I guess going back to what you said about last season, you, you did have a difficult start to the to the championship season. I think you lost your first seven games. Thinking about the things about the culture guardians and the culture architects and the generals, that's when they must really kind of click into gear at moments like that to kind of bring the squad together and allow you to kind of regroup and and kind of continue through the season in the way that you did. And as you said, the end of the season, you were kind of one of the best teams in the league almost, weren't you? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We um, it was funny, you know, because we were a team that was in the bottom three for for most of last season. Um, you would never have believed that that dressing room was a bottom three um, dressing room. Uh, and I actually said to the generals at one stage last season, "This is us at our worst." You know, we haven't won many games at this point in the season, and look how good this place is still. You know, there was still a buzz about it because the boys, uh, you know, they knew that it was going to be a, a tough ask. Uh, but they still wanted to try and conquer it as best they could. And, and whatever that meant, you know, for everyone expected us to finish, you know, bottom of the league on less than 20 points and, you know, be a bit of a laughing stock. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we found a way and we started a nick a point here and then we started to upset a couple of the big teams. And uh, and i got to say, there were there were plenty of times earlier in the season where we, we come away with draws in games that we should have won, where we'd really... Yeah. You know, taking them to task and, and the opposition managers. I remember um, at Swansea um, when Steve Cooper, uh, he shook our hands at the end of the season. We were 2 0 up. They got two late goals to draw two. And he shook our hands and he said, I have so much respect for you guys. And that meant so much to us. You know, it was our first season in the championship. But I think from a coaching point of view, we went there and went, actually, we can do this. You know, and um, and I think our players got to the point where they, they all started to believe, actually, we can do this as a team. So, even last game of the season, we won 3-0 at Middlesbrough, got relegated on that day and, um, and the dressing room was like, we can't wait for next season. Like, bring it on now. We're ready to go. Um, and they've had to be a little bit patient for a couple of months, the boys, but they really are chomping at the bit. I don't know what Saturday will bring, but what I do know is that we've got a, a group of lads that can't wait to start the season and are really looking forward to developing the club again. We had Bruno Di Michaelis, who is uh, AC Milan's former scientific coordinator on the pod uh, a few months ago, guys. And he he talked about the culture that they'd instilled at Milan during the, the late 80s and early 90s. And he was saying that that was absolutely imperative to the club's success. So he, he was basically saying, you know, you, you had Saki and then Capello and then Ancelotti, the three great managers, but the success kind of went through all of their eras. And, and key to that was culture. One of the things he said was that to do that, you need buy-in not just from the kind of coaching staff and the players, but from from boardroom level as well. How how does that kind of play out at, at Wickham? Yeah, we we do have that. I think that being um, being together uh, at that level is don't don't be afraid. We're not afraid as a management team to talk about uh, talk about our culture and what we do and why we do it to our boys. I think there sometimes can be a can be a, a sort of a, a gap between they're the board, they run the club, and, and they don't really know what goes on on the ground. We make sure that we we keep them informed. We make sure we talk to them. They can come in and it's an open house at Wickham to come in and ask us questions about why we've done that one. And I think we 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 get their buy-in and their and their backing because 
they they believe in what we're doing. You know, when I just put something together last minute and said we're doing this with you know, this is this is a work over many years time. And and on the other day I, I, I spoke to Double while we have the, the the set plays that we go through so importantly. I said, Have you got the ones from eight years ago? And yeah, yes, that we're we're all structured and we know exactly where honestly it's I couldn't have anyone better. It's just so we're so in tune with each other. We we cover all bases because we we're quite different, but um, the buy-in from the, the board comes because we we inform them of what we're doing they, and they see it they see it they speak to the players the players aren't afraid to speak into the board as well only this morning the owner came in and had a chat with the boys and and I think it's really important that from the top right to the bottom I, I know the cleaner's name I know I know the groundsman's name I, I know all these people and I'll call them by name and you're part of the team the chef Michael the cleaner Laurel they are a part of our team so when we have success, they have success. And when they have success, we have success. And it's all together. And I think that's the only way I want to do it and the only way I will ever do it. But um, I feel like we have the buy-in and the backing. Yeah, I've here. got to say, um, it was really reassuring when our, our new American owners came into the club because often that can be a, a state of flux. You know, things change and the new Americans come in and they, they it's a clean sweep and um, they've done their homework so they weren't just buying a football club. They'd done their homework into the people within the club and they were buying the people within the club as well. And the first thing they did when they come in was um, commit to myself and Gaz, offer us new contracts and, and say to us, you know, pr- pretty much, you know, you're here as long as we're here. We really like what you're doing. And, and to have that support from the moment they stepped through the door before they really even knew us as people was was massive for us. Um, now they know us, um, you know, we're, we're a lot more friendly and they know us far more intimately um, and, and that relationship has just got even stronger. So, um, you know, we were fortunate that we had people that had really done their homework, mm-hmm. not just on the club, on the people within it, and have been um, hugely supportive ever since. It has been tough. We've had, uh, over the years, we, we have had no money. We've had trust ownership. We've had fans who've stepped up to be chairman. And um, and I think us recognising that, yeah, um, there is no money here and not going to the board saying, well, it's your fault. We have no money or it's your, there's never been any of that. It's always been together. It always has been. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that's the way to do it. That's the way I want to do it. You know, and uh, it, there is a no blame culture here and, and I can't start blaming anyone else. If I'm asking the boys not to blame each other, you know, it's, it's uh, look at me on the foot. I'll take the, I'll take the, um, I'll take the hit on football. I'll take my shoulders are broad enough to take the hit and I've got good people next to me that can help me recover from that. But you don't ever start blaming each other and, and they'll never see me blaming anyone else. It's always, I'll always look inside first. And I think that's, that's, that's key. That's really key. But um, as Rich says, we've got some fantastic owners, some great backers, you know, and I think, um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for, for better with Rob and Missy and, and, and the nephew, Pete Keurig. Um, they're, they're just fantastic people and, I want to deliver success and it's like you want to do it and, and it makes it even better, you know, and, and I think um, as far as I'm concerned, that's the best way to be. And, and does building the kind of culture and environment that you've got at Wickham, does, does that even extend beyond what you can control inside the club? And I guess what I'm talking about there is, you know, the fans and, and the people kind of outside the club. You mentioned that the fans have been involved in kind of running the club in the, in the time that you've been there. Does, does engaging with fans in a certain way help to create that culture with, with the team? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I personally, I don't know if, I'm sure Richard agrees, but I've seen the fans change as well. I really have, you know. I've seen yeah, the fans yeah. change and be so proud, even on a relegation. Um, never relegated from the championship, but how proud are we of that group? 
that's yeah. so powerful, you know. But they're proud of us because the boys will go out in the streets and they'll talk to the fans, they'll sign autographs. We have Bayouac in Fenwa who will will not leave the pitch until he signed single autograph. And that can be an hour sometimes, honestly. But he'll do it. And what an example to the rest of the boys, you know. And I and I think this humility, if if I could pick out one trait and one core value, the humility is, is right up there for me. It really is because you're never better than anyone else. There's always people worse off than you. You've got to stay grounded. You've got to stay humble as you can. Um, and I've seen fans come with us on our journey and, and be a passionate part. And some of the letters I get from fans that are just, they're so proud of us and so proud to be connected with Wickham Wanderers because we do it right, they say. They, we conduct ourselves the right way. And, and that makes me proud. And, and I'm sure you've got some. to say I, I, that. Do you know what I've got to say? Firstly, Gaz is terrific with with the fans, you know, as um, as the head of the club, and uh, you know, and he uh, he engages with them, um, and they connect with Gaz because they see all the emotions on the touchline. So, um, you know, straight away there's a connection there. Um, but I, I've got to say, when we first started out um, together, we said we want to give the, the the fans a team that they can connect with. They can they they see the identity of hard work of humility. Um, and we might not be the best team, you know. We might not be the the most stylish team, but we want our fans to come in. And every game, they, they can't ask for any more from from that group of players that represents them and, and, and wears that shirt. And I think that we've we've brought that. You know, I can't think of a game ever that I've I've walked off and thought our boys haven't tried today. Or they've given up today. Mm-hmm. And I think once the fans have seen that, they they you know they they want to be connected with that identity of of, of the club. Uh, I'll share this with you. And this is where football goes far beyond um, winning and losing football matches. I was at a dinner once and I was sat next to two of our supporters, two ladies. And um, one of them said, you know, I, I've, I've fallen in love with this club. She said I was in a, a difficult relationship and, um, and I was contemplating not going on anymore. And I, I turned up at this football club. I saw this group of players giving absolutely everything and it gave me hope in life and... Um, it's always difficult to, to talk about because it, it makes you well up. But, you know, they, they gave me hope and showed me a way. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, it turned my life around. And the other woman sat next to her said, I was exactly the same. I was, I was ready to, to give in. I contemplated suicide. And um, I came to the, the football club and, uh, and just fell in love with the attitude and the, the togetherness. And, um, uh, you know, I come here every week because these guys give me hope. And it's where you realise that, that football as a sport is far bigger than, than winning and losing. It's far bigger than the game. It affects people in so many ways. And we're so fortunate that we're in a position that can affect people's lives in a positive manner. Um, you know, there's two that I've heard about. I'm sure there's countless others that have been in similar situations or similar boats that, that we've affected positively along the way. And I think, you know, communicating that with the lads that to, so that they understand that their roles are, are bigger than just representing a football club. You know, they're representing everything around the local community um, and, and inspiring people along the way. Um, you know, it, it's a magical situation and we're very fortunate to be working in it. Richard, I mean, it's, it's kind of really profound, actually, like the, the impact that the kind of cultural ethos that you've, you've built there at Wickham is, is having on the, on the community and the players to some extent as, as well. Why? I mean, obviously, there are good examples across the the kind of English leagues. You know, there are clubs like you know Brighton, I suppose, stands out as a good example of a club that's really kind of committed to psychologically supporting their their players and non playing staff. But I think it's fair to say that psychology is still maybe something that isn't taken 
as serious as it should be by by clubs across the country. You know, do, why do you think that? Why do you think that is? First of all, I don't think people truly understand it. You know, I think they've got this um, understanding that, that psychology is somebody sat across a table talking to somebody else on the other side of the table, and you know, very much like counselling. Uh, I've got to say, from from my perspective, as someone who's studied psychology, and, and certainly from Misha's perspective, some of our best work has been done in chats. You know, walking across the pitch after um, after training. Some of my we spoke previously about Anthony Stewart and. Um, some of my best work with him as a, a young lad was when I was dropping him off at digs and he was sat in front of the minibus with me and them conversations that you have there. So psychology manifests itself in many different ways. And, um, you know, I don't think people truly understand that it can be done very subtly. It doesn't have to be in this you know, quite fearful environment of someone sat across a table where you've got to lay yourself bare in a, you know, what feels like an interview situation. Um, I also think that clubs, play at it quite honestly you know we're very fortunate we've got someone who's highly qualified Misha's worked with international athletes you know world-class gymnasts she's worked with um, England youth teams and, and, and the women's national team so she's highly qualified highly experienced I think you know what I'm seeing now is a lot of people that are just recently qualified from university going into jobs at clubs to tick boxes because the elite player performance plan says you have to have a psychologist so they go well we've we've brought one in we're paying them peanuts but we've got one so we are doing psychology no you're not you know it's it's not as, as simple as that um so you have to understand it at a far deeper level and you know as somebody who's understood psychology i feel i still feel like i'm, I'm scratching the surface of it because it's such a vast um topic uh, to to try and conquer you know you always feel like you you're chasing it and you want to learn more fortunately with misha's expertise around she's a calming figure because she's been there seen it, done it, worked with some top people and has been through some of the scenarios that we have to deal with many times before. So she brings that expertise and, and that knowledge that we don't necessarily have. And, you know, that's where we, we have to say, look, we trust you. You go ahead and do your job because we know you're far better at it than we are. Yeah, and I think the trust the trust word there is super important, super important. Anyone who this, this man brings into my football club, I will trust um, and and... and Many of my staff, you know, I, I, all, all my staff, I trust all my staff. And if they think it's for the good of the players, um, yeah, there is no issue for me. Um, I, you know, I, I look, I'm a trusting person. I, I give them the opportunity. And Misha certainly has delivered. You know, she's uh, she really has. It's some of the conversations that aren't about football, that the important ones. They're the, the big important ones. And listen, I'm, I'm, we're not sitting here saying we're the best football club in the world at this. Other clubs are doing it superbly well. Um we're just so proud of the way we do it. We really are. And, uh, and I'm hoping that um, across society in general, um, this, this opens up because this is, uh, if we can be an example for society in general, I've got children. I know that, um, you know, there could be some tough times ahead and what we've just been through in the last 18 months is, is very tough, you know, tough, challenging times. So football can be a sort of a flagship that if they can do it, we can start doing it. Then uh, I say, but as, as Dobbo says, it's that big. We're just scratching the surface, but we're, we're getting we're getting there. Quite. Uh, I will challenge uh, what Gaz just said there because I, I do, with my experience in, in psychology and football, I do feel that we are pioneering. What we are doing is is very different to. I'm being humble. To most, I know you are. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> I think we'll, we'll give ourselves a pat on the back for once because actually I, I do think what we're doing is is far in advance of what the rest of football is doing right now. And you know, we're fortunate that 
you know, I met Misha at a time where it, it, you know, psychology wasn't involved in football. There were very few, and, and it wasn't something that um, that football really leaned on. But looking at it now, more and more clubs are, are understanding the importance of the mind and, and training the mind, and there are more that are jumping on board. And we, we're just That's lucky right. that we, you know, we're ahead of the game in that. And um, you know, our our target now is to to make sure that we do continue to be ahead of the game and to keep evolving and and persevering with um, with making what we do better and better. Yeah, Gareth, I think you were taking the Wickham culture too far there by just being humble <laughs> when you should have just be uh, shouting shouting from the rooftops about how good you are. I don't care about what anyone else does. I care about my, my family here and uh, and and I know I'm doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. Just on that point about, Gareth, you mentioned sort of challenges ahead. One of the things we quite often bump up against when we're talking to people working in psychology and sport is some of the pitfalls and dangers associated with things like social media for players. Is that something you you worry about as a management team when when you're trying to safeguard your players and kind of protect that culture? Is that something that that, that keeps you up at night a little bit? Uh, It doesn't keep me up at night, but um, I have to be totally aware of it. I'm I'm probably one of the few people you'll ever speak to that's uh, have no social media at all myself. Uh, nothing at all. I have no no accounts on anything. Uh, and you know what? I'm I'm really happy like that. But I am so aware of of how this can be. I mean, my children have got it, but and I can be so aware of how this can be such a negative influence in people's lives and and can take over. You know? And I, and I think again. We we've done media training at our place. It's it's a it's probably something we could look at even more because it is becoming huge now. This, but it's uh, it can be such such a test for some of these players. You know, where anyone can get access to them. We've seen obviously how, how the discriminatory stuff can come out, but also the, the little sneaky mental comment, comments that that will fester in somebody. And 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 honestly, that's why I don't look at it. I don't look at it at all because. I'm an emotional guy. I, I, I am, of course, I'm open to everyone, and I'd rather not see something, not see anything. Somebody, I don't even read the papers or anything. I don't want anyone influencing Gareth Ains and what he thinks at all. And, and apart from the close people to me, so um, can't understand how some of these these people can post things like that and uh, don't realise how much damage they're doing. And a little innocent keyboard warrior post can really affect somebody. I think we've got to be aware of that, and, and we are aware of that. Um, Will be no no secret that when we sign players, you know, Rich uh, Rich will will troll and, and look and Twitter and Facebook and we, we get a, a general view of a player on on stuff that we've seen online about them and, and things like that and, and and it's part of our criteria of, of getting people in the building. But um, yeah, Rich, you're probably more qualified to answer that question. Yeah, no, I, look, it's a it's a great source of of information to understand people, and, and we have turned people down players down based on their social media accounts Definitely, and yeah. you know we, we look at that and go do you know what that person doesn't represent the values that we have at, at Wickham Wanderers he's not the one um, you know people are uh, sometimes a, a little bit too easy to give too much away um, and you know what you see sometimes is you know the worst version of them when they're not with you you know so we, they come in they meet you with their agent and they say all the right things you know because they want to come to your club and then you look on their social media and you realise what they're like when they're sat at home thinking that no one's judging them and you suddenly go, you're not the person that was sat across the uh, the table from me earlier on. So, um, yeah, you know, social media is, is a great source of information, good and bad. And I've got to say, you know, I, I don't have, you know, I don't use it for my own personal benefit. 
Um, but I do look on there and, and I think there's some great stuff out there, some real good information. And, and some people yeah. use it for all the right reasons. And that's where it is a, a great source of information. Um, but on the other side of it, um, far too many people use it and, and, you know, with no emotional control and no thought for what they're putting out there and, and how that's going to be received by other people, which is a real shame. I think if we can give our boys the tools to deal with these comments, because they're out there, you can't stop it. You know, we have Akin Femme, who's probably a million plus followers on, on certain <laughs> platforms, wherever you call it now, but, but he's a... He, he will be, you know, he will be one of the ones who can deal with it. He's a general and he will, but some some will hurt him. But he's given the tools to some of the younger players that are coming through or some of the, the, the more vulnerable players that we see, giving them the tools to deal with this. We can't, we're never going to stop it, but can we give them the tools to to deal with this, to either talk about it with us or, or you know, dismiss it as, as what it is, is a, is a stupid comment. So um, that's our job is, is probably preparing the boys for this and and, and as we do with, with both children and our children as well it's just sort of a, a lesson at home as much as it works sometimes guys we started the, the podcast by talking about the fact that, that you're the league's currently the league's longest serving managerial duo how do you keep the kind of message to the players fresh because obviously there's some players that have been there for quite a long time now some of the generals that that you mentioned yeah how do you kind of motivate those players continuously um, yeah, and it's, you, you've got to refresh things. And, and even right down to the, the training sessions we do, we do try and keep things fresh. And, and I have energy, I'm full of energy. I really am. I know, I know um, there's worse off people for me. I'll never take one day for granted of my job. I know how lucky I am, how hard I've worked, by the way. But, but it's just a certain amount element of luck as well to be doing something I've loved since I left school just to be in the game. And I sit next to the person who, who had to go and get a job because he's, his knee injuries forced him to early finish his career. So I, I understand how lucky I am. And I'll always come in with that energy um, and that motivation for the boys. You know, I, I really will. They'll, they'll bounce off and, and Rich and, and the other staff members said to me, Gaffer, you keep your energy up because the boys absolutely just buzz off you. They, if, when you're down, they're down. When you're, cause you're that much, much of, a, of an energizer. So I think that helps in a way. I'm, I'm looking on that side of things, but we do, we do try to keep things fresh as well, don't we? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a difficult test, you know. I, I always know when Gaz comes through the door because you can hear him wooing <laughs> as he comes through the door downstairs. So, yeah, he, he drives the energy in the place. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, you hear him before you see him. But um, there's a passion. Uh, there's a passion for for the game. Yeah, you know, yeah. amongst all the staff. I mean, you know, we talk about a tight knit group of players. The staff are, are a wonderful group, and we're we, you know we're, we're growing now as the club's grown. We're getting more and more staff on board, and once again, you know, the recruitment of staff is equally as important because it's difficult to come into a, a tight knit group, um, you know, and and thrive. And um, you know, we, we we're really close. Um, so there's a passion for the, for the game. There's a passion for the club. You know, we've been there a long time, and um, you know, we don't want to hand it over to anyone else and watch somebody else mess it up. But after all these years of hard work, you know, we want to be here as long as we possibly can. Uh, and you know, there have been opportunities to move on in recent years, and you look at it and go, you know, we might go to this nice shiny football club over there, but actually, are we going to get what we've got here with the people that we've got here? Actually, you know, we're better off where we are. And um, um, with every season that goes past, is another year where you know you've played a, a bigger part in the. The history of the club and um, you want that to continue so uh, you know as long as you've got people around you that, that continually push you and, and and we do you know we ask questions of each other we want to take the club forward and 
you know, we're, we're never going to stand still. We've got a forward thinking mentality. Then it just makes every day, uh, you know, uh, it's a test. You know, you want to you want to see how you can do better than yesterday. And um, I think that's what's you know helped the club to to progress as it has done. Um, no one's rested on their laurels. No one's wanted to stand still and admire what they've done. It's you know, what can we do next and how can we do it? I think we also look out for each other as well. You know, and so if somebody's down or somebody's having a we, we'll we'll point it out. It's not often me and Dobbo can have a bad day because we have to look after everyone else. But we uh, we do we certainly do. When I'm when I'm leaping and whooping about and jumping and doing cartwheels in training, so the boys can anchor a good feeling. There's always the brains behind it going double. <laughs> he's writing things down in the next session and and pulling me and say, you know that that was great, but that might have gone better or something. And it, and it's together. I think we've uh, we, we're lucky. We we do cover many many bases. Um, and as I say, I would not have... My name's at the top of the uh, the success sheet with the, this club, but there's no way I could have done it without this guy. I've got to say, it's interesting that a couple of years ago, we spoke to somebody at another club, we were talking about our culture, and um, they said, oh, you know, it's obviously a soft a soft culture there. There's nothing soft <laughs> about our football club. It's actually a strength, you know, and that compassion, you know, the, all the words that you wouldn't associate with a macho sport like football, you know, and then the comp- compassion and, and, and empathy and yeah, that yeah. is actually everything that brings us strength. We wouldn't be where we were without those things. Um, and, you know, as I've said in the past, it's, it's very much like a, a fabric, you know, if the fabric has few points of connection, when it's stressed, it easily falls apart. But we've got so many points of connection within our club that, you know, you can stress it and it won't fall apart. Um, and I think that's... Uh, you know, super important in terms of, of breeding a successful team, a successful successful football club, or whatever the team sport might be. And it sounds like a key component of the success of you guys having been together for so long is that you you look like you complement each other in terms of strengths and weaknesses. Richard, I think one of the things you said to us last time that you and Gareth are basically yin and yang in terms of I think it's fair to say you said you were slightly more reserved of the two of you. I'm not sure. I can, I'm not sure I could pull off the wrong the long hair and the, 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 the boots on the touchline. Uh, I've, got I've, guitar, I've got a guitar in my office. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't pull it up. You know, sometimes you've got to stay in your lane. I know what lane I'm in. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I, um, I, I'm a little bit, it's interesting, you know, Gaz is an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Um, and, and I read a book um, not so long ago by Susan Cain called Quiet, which, um, which tells you how important introverts can be, you know, and you can still lead as an introvert. It doesn't mean that you shy away in the corner and, you know, you don't want to speak to people. Um, it just means that you do things differently to uh, to other people, and so you know where where people are, uh, are seeing Gaz on the touchline, he's jumping for every header, and and you know jumping around. And it, you know if you put a GPS on him, he'd do as much mileage as the players in, in games up and down that touchline. Um, you know, there's a place for me as a, a little bit more reserved, um, you know, more of a visual person, uh, and I like to observe um, and and quite calmly make my my points for him um, very often. So. Um, you know, it, it works like that. There'll be some players that certainly connect with Gaz because they want that energy and, you know, people like Bayo and that will be very similar. But there'll be others, um, much like Dominic Gabe, who's a quieter Thank person you, that will connect with me. And um, look, yeah. if we can touch as many parts of that dressing room as possible, then happy days, you know, we, we, we'll be winning. Yeah, I've got a great story on this, actually, and, and it's, it's probably a nice advertisement for the LMA as well. They, they run something called the Management uh, Football Diploma uh, in, in, in Football Management. And, and I went on it and... Um, they do these tests and uh, I think it's sort of the Myers-Briggs or whatever you, whichever one you want to do. And, and it tells you what you are. So um, 
you um you you you're ticking all these boxes and you're doing this thing. And and I came off and, and the guy said to me, he said it's the biggest highest extra we've ever had and all this stuff. <laughs> and all this and that and I know all this stuff. And then they went, right, think of someone else in your football club and mark them. And then so I thought of double. And I started marking double. And I started understanding double just by this. And they're going, right, this is an introvert. This is what they do. And I'm thinking, God, that this is double. And I'm, I'm having this eureka moment going, he's, this is double. So, and, and when I come in sometimes in the morning, I'm up and I'm like, right, come on, let's go. And that was on his computer doing or looking at some, some tactical stuff. And I'm, and I'm like, Come on, double, and it and but it's it's how we work together, you know. And then I'll walk out the room and go and energize someone else. And and by the time we get to training, we're structured because of that. We're we're energized because of me, and we get the best session on. And and it's it was a real eureka moment, thinking, oh my god, I didn't understand this, so, you know. So again, the character types of so many different people, and there's there's millions in between us, you know, on the on the on these levels. So um, no, it's it's brilliant to know. Um, and to cover so many bases, we do. We really do, honestly. And, uh, and like, like I said, I couldn't have done it without him, or, or many other staff. They've been fantastic for me, and, uh, and I've really, I'm a lucky guy. I really am. So, uh, long may I continue. But um, yeah, success. Hopefully, this coming season will be nice. Richard, just just a last question for me, and then I'll, I'll leave the, the closing comments to Lee because he's, he's a QPR fan. So. Uh... <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let him uh, have, have a little chat with you on that one, Gav. Um, Richard, I just thought it was really interesting you talked about that soft culture comment when we had Misha on the show. I think she talked about a kind of domineering masculinity across football, one of the, being one of the reasons maybe why kind of psychology isn't seen as, as something that should be adopted kind of wholesale. Do you kind of feel like that is starting to change, that attitude maybe, that kind of domineering masculinity is starting to change a, a little bit? Now you're seeing players coming through maybe that, that kind of don't kind of adopt those, those values. I think you're right. I think you, you look at the culture of football now and it's it's changing landscape, isn't it? You know, 30, 40 years ago, we lived in a really masculine football world where Gaz was part of the crazy game. You know, you listen to some of the stories that what they used to get up to. And in, in essence, much of it was bullying, you know, and you had to be strong to get through it because if you didn't, you, you'd crumble. Um, uh, and, and you look at the, the type of players that we had then, there was this drinking culture. And so, you know, everything that goes with the drinking culture, it, it, there's an identity there with these players that, that now is, is seeped away. And I've got to say, probably the early foreigners coming into the game might have changed that. I remember... You know, Gianfranco Zola, who's a wonderful human being, talking about, you know, he'd allow himself one glass of red wine with his meal on a Sunday and that would be it. Um, and I think, you know, probably the, the, a lot of the players around Chelsea at that time started to change their culture because someone like him had walked into the dressing room. Um, and I think now what you're looking at is, um, you know, a far less aggressive nature in our in our players. The game is far more technical and tactical, um, you know, at a higher level. And that's starting to seep through all the divisions. Um, so we haven't got this this game where look, eight years ago I stood on the touchline away at Mansfield. It was blowing a gale. I think it was a two-all draw. And um, it might have been nil-nil actually this particular game. And I remember halfway through the second half thinking, my God, three and a half thousand people have come to watch this today. It was just a fight, you know, and, um, <laughs> and I hated it. You know, I hated everything about it, but that was what football looked like in lower leagues. Now, fortunately, you know, there's new ideas. People are being far brighter. Um, you know, tactically, the games are, are far better. 
Um, and we've come away from this sort of physical macho sport that we had for a far more thinking, tactical game that I think is for the better of, of the sport. Um, so, you know, whilst we, we don't have as many physical duels now and those sort of um, John Fashnu type players are, are sort of less and less, um, what you're getting now is, is greater technicians, um, uh, you know, with more cleverness around the players. Instead of, you know, the, the age old, I'm going to tell you how to play as manager and you lot just go and do it. You now got players that are brighter that want to understand, want to ask questions, and, and you can give a little bit of um, uh, ownership to because they'll take it on board and they'll drive it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a it's a joy to see. From my perspective, it's you know it's what what I enjoy about the game. I, I loved last season's game. I love the the tactical and technical battles of the the championship. Um, and look, there's still a place for physicality. You know, if you can if you can. Uh, um, have a physical mismatch like Bayouac and Femmeroff was us, then absolutely you use it to, to its advantage all day long. Um, but I, I think certainly we're, we're coaching now is, is far more bright, is far more clever. Um, and uh, we've come away from that. Let's all rant at the players because if we rant them, then they'll play better rubbish that used to go on. <laughs> we're in a better place you know, in football with the people that are at the top of the game, I think. Yeah, Gareth, don't worry, I wasn't going to bang on about QPR too much. I was, I was, I was just going to say, uh, on the subject of you being an extrovert, what I do have a very vivid memory of you screaming less rock and roll at the top of your voice on the steps of Hammersmith Town Hall when you helped us get promoted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I was going to wish you both all the best for the new season and, and hopefully you'll be doing something similar in Wickham next May. If well, you get the chance, I'm scream let's rock and roll on the steps of uh, the the council building in Wickham. Then you know, yeah, yeah. But I'd probably do it if we have a bad season. Though, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, guys, honestly, thanks for for bringing uh, bringing this subject up. It's so it's such a great subject to talk about, and and uh, and truly, I know we, we do. We're very proud of what we do at Wickham. But uh, the last question you asked there, John. Hopefully, football is changing. And 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 hopefully, it will come across the whole board that um, this this psychological impact that, that these people have, and and it's it's just fantastic. We can help people through some tough times, and, uh, and we're very proud of what we do. Um, hopefully, it's a, a big part of our success at Wickham Wanderers, and again this season. that was our discussion with Gareth Ainsworth and Richard Dobson about Wickham's groundbreaking psychology programme and the culture they've established at, at Allen's Park. And, and Leek, as we said, it was just a fascinating discussion with two really impressive individuals. Yeah, it was, it was so enjoyable, wasn't it, John? I mean, the, the time flew by. I mean, we knew Richard was, you know, an engaging speaker on the subject of psychology. And, and as a QPR fan, Gareth Ainsworth was already one of my heroes. And it's fair to say that after spending an hour in his company, I mean, he's only, he's only gone up in my estimations, if anything. Yeah, and I think Richard, last time he came onto the pod, referred to, to him and Gareth as a kind of yin and yang act. And he couldn't have been more <laughs> yeah. on the money with that. Uh, and it... It, I think the, the, the beauty of that is that, you know, as Richard was saying, that they kind of manage their personalities complement each other so well that they can, you know, they can connect with different parts of the dressing room. I thought it was really interesting the way that Richard, Richard was saying, actually, for some players, having a kind of introverted character to kind of go to and, and confide in is a really good thing. 
And I think they both said uh, time and time again, like, you know, sometimes the players will look to Dobbo for that. Sometimes they look to Gaz for that. I just think they've got such awareness of their own kind of strengths and weaknesses. And, and you know, and they know they know their roles. I mean, you know, that's that's basically the kind of chemistry that a successful management team needs, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, talking about awareness, I thought it was really interesting that, that Richard, you know, talked about the the kind of, comment that that he'd received you know during the course of a, a kind of meeting uh, about Wickham's kind of soft culture as this this kind of person put it and I thought it was really interesting that you know Richard was really quick to, to kind of refute that and just say look we've got a culture here that we're really proud of uh, and actually you know to kind of look at a a culture that kind of embraces some of the things that they were talking about like trust, openness, transparency. I regard that as soft. It's just kind of looking at it in a really kind of old-fashioned way. It's just Neanderthal thinking, isn't it, John? Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned trust there. I mean, I lost, I lost count of the the amount of times the word trust was used, and you really got the impression that that was kind of the centerpiece around which the whole culture which is you know almost like a Wickham brand now isn't it you know they are known in the football world as a club with something special uh, at the heart of what they're trying to do but yeah I, I found the constant um, going back to the word trust really told you you know you could see Gareth and Richard trusted each other inherently when they talked about the generals in the dressing room you could see that there was trust there the board has trust in the, in, the, in, the, in the management team. The management team has trust in the players. And it just seems to foster this environment where, you know, just trust seems to just get rid of fear. Uh, and, and fear seems to be the thing that, you know, that, that doesn't have a helpful role to play. So, so when you do hear people kind of saying those old-fashioned things, you just kind of think, well, you know, where have you been for the last 20 years, basically? Yeah, and it kind of plays into this point that we've, we've talked about on previous pods, uh, and that we've, you know, we've we've kind of also you know, written about and go to beatthepress.net. There's some articles on there that that talk about the fact that yes, football still has quite a way to go in this respect. And again, I thought one of the other kind of telling comments that Richard made was the fact that you know, in his eyes, yes, football's gone some way to kind of to to kind of embracing psychology at certain clubs. But you know, he was he was I thought pretty emphatic in saying that you know at some clubs. Uh, psychology at the moment is a bit of a box ticking exercise and he was talking about the fact that for example Premier League clubs are kind of mandated to to have psychologists uh, on board for their academies uh, that's a guideline well, a guideline regulation set down by the elite player performance program but they're employing people straight from university and maybe not kind of giving that that psychological support setup, the investment it requires and I mean there were pretty damning words from I thought you know from someone who's a very level-headed guy yeah and 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 you know they're two people that see football they that they know they know what happens in the world of football so for them to be saying that you know that, that's an honest assessment of what they're seeing when they're when they're they're, they're engaging with other clubs and, and other managers and things so yeah very 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 telling John one of the other things I I, I found really interesting about the interview um there's a you know, that big section where they talk about the role of the the generals, you know, the trusted lieutenants in the dressing room. And what I found most fascinating about that part of the interview was, to me, that's quite a traditional concept in football. I, I, I don't think that's a particularly groundbreaking thing. I mean, Richard mentioned that, you know, Gareth played for Wimbledon. You know, he played for the crazy gang. 
they almost definitely would have had uh, would have had dressing room generals in the crazy gang. Uh, but what was so interesting about the way they talked about it was the way they evolved the concept of the the general to that very forward thinking idea of a of a culture architect, a culture guardian. And it kind of made me think that you know what they're doing is clearly innovative, but all innovation has its roots in something that already exists, like something that you already know works. And what you're doing is bringing new ideas to the table, evolving that existing concept and basically taking it to the next level. And, and I think the entire kind of feeling I got from the interview or the impression that I got was they've kind of taken things that they knew worked and just applied some intelligence and some thoughtfulness to them to basically say right how do we get more out of that idea yeah that was it i mean something as simple as kpis you know yeah. they've, they've taken taken what's really what's a really kind of you know simple concepts really well known and they've just said well actually you know we've got you know 13 things that we think we should be we should be tracking and it probably makes sense for a couple of those to to look at, at psychology and, and the group's social impact. So, and you think when you put it like that, it does sound really simple. And it's like, well, why aren't more clubs doing that? Because, you know, again, there's, there's no evidence, there's no, certainly no publicly available evidence anyway that the clubs are looking at, at things like that. Now, I know, you know, that the, the certain clubs might want to kind of keep that that kind of stuff behind closed doors. But yeah, you know, you, you'd expect to, to kind of see some stuff out there um you know online if, if other clubs were following suit yeah you're, you're right about that because you know I, I, there was a moment in that interview where i just wanted to know what the kpis were but you know i didn't want them to have to give away all their secrets so it would be very <laughs> unfair to ask that but um the fact that it's linked to the reward for the players as well i think you know that's a that's something that a lot of organizations struggle with is kind of you know what, what do we want people to be doing and how can we reward them for doing what we want them to be doing i know it sounds really simple but but a lot of organizations struggle don't they and actually that kind of brings me on to another point really john which is i kind of thought that what they're doing is clearly pioneering the, the environment and the culture that they're fostering you know, they're a football club, but they're essentially an organisation. And and whilst there's a hell of a lot that I think the world of football can learn from what Wickham Wanderers are doing and what Gareth and Richard, you know, all of the things that they discussed, it occurred to me that basically most organisations in the corporate world or whatever sector people work in, most organisations could learn from having an environment that feels safe, is open, where people are empowered to go and you know, be themselves, do what they want to do, perform to their absolute best and know that the people around them are going to kind of support them through that journey. It just felt to me like that's, that, that goes beyond the world of football, doesn't it? And I know this podcast is about football and, you know, achieving performance games and, and, and it's a competitive industry, but you know, there's just so much. It's just about achievement and, and hitting your potential, isn't it? That, that's it. I mean, and it, it makes you want to, to to work for them or, or you know work work with them. You can understand why you know Sam Vokes was when, when you know Inspector Gareth was was saying, "I've heard about your dressing room." First thing, first thing he said. You know, what? you can understand why why people buy into this. It's really really interesting and forward-looking way of, of doing things well we, we have that theory don't we that you know the, the the mindset of footballers is moving away from just going to the club that's going to pay them the most money and actually the modern day footballer is looking for something a bit more than that so you know that's why young players are willing to go to the Bundesliga rather than just sitting in the Chelsea reserves and it's why somebody like Sam Vokes who you know big name to get to go down to to League One to play at a club like Wickham but to go there because he knows that the way things are done is something that he wants to be part of. I, I think 
that is where football is going to go. And I think, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of kudos going the way of people like Gareth and Richard in terms of what they're instilling. Agreed. I completely agree with that. I think it was interesting that, that Gareth was quite quick to say that um, the players weren't kind of saying, well, you know, we'll take a 50% cut in wages <laughs> yeah. to, to, yeah. to come and join you. Because they Unfortunately, to... there is a ceiling to that, yeah. to the impact that that can have. Yeah, that's fair yeah. enough. Uh, well, that's all for, for this, this week's pod. Um, we really hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to check out more of the podcasts, the, for example, the, the one that we recorded with, with Richard last year on, on Wickham's Academy programme, um, and a whole host of others, then, then just go over to beatthepress.net.